You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast. Visit us on the web at qalaminstitute.org and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash qalaminstitute. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the prophetic biography, Asirat Nabawiyah. Uh, last week we spoke about <clears throat> a very interesting experience, rather something the Prophet ﷺ witnessed uh, during his young adult years. From the age of about 14 to 15 till about the age of 19, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was able to witness a very turbulent time there in Arabia, particularly for the Quraysh, uh, which was called uh, Harbul Fijar. It was a sacrilegious war. And it was referred to as such because of the nature, how it started, and exactly what transpired during that war. And it was a very problematic, a very traumatic time for the Prophet ﷺ to witness such behavior and to witness such chaos and unrest um, in the community that he was a part of. And I also spoke about how that led to the Prophet's sentiments in regards to war. And how the Prophet of Allah only once actually stepped onto the battlefield at the insistence of his uncles because they felt that it was a family obligation and it would be a shame for the family for a young man, able-bodied young man to not participate in a war that you know his tribe and his people were a part of. Nevertheless, the Prophet of Allah during that actual battle, never once engaged in the actual battle, but rather the Messenger of Allah ran around and just collected the arrows as they were falling, since they were fighting the tribes of Hawazin, that, who were expert archers, and their primary uh, battle strategy was archery, and how they would create a defensive front using arrows. So the Prophet ﷺ, you know, ran around collecting these arrows and bringing them back to his uncles. And even that he did for some limited amount of time on that day, and then basically retired from the battlefield. And that was the Prophet ﷺ's only engagement um, in that entire situation. Nevertheless, it still left an impression on the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And for that matter, it made an impression even on the people of Mecca. The people of Mecca were extremely weary of that entire scene and they never wanted to see or witness such a scenario repeat itself there in their region and in amongst their people. So around the age of about 20, the Prophet of Allah was about 20 years old, young man, um, really coming into his own now, a, you know, a young mature adult. And at that point in time, something very interesting happened. The war was still fresh on everyone's mind. And how that, such a terrible war that lasted for five years, how that began was also fresh in everyone's mind. That you had somebody from Quraysh com commit an injustice with somebody else. And then rather than the sides, you know, offering reparations to one another, rather they decided to launch a full-scale war. So that was still fresh in everyone's mind as well. At that point in time, another scenario ensued. What basically happened was that there was a man from the there was a man from outside of Mecca from another tribe and this man came to Mecca to do some business. And when he came to do business, he came into contact with a a man of Quraysh, uh, Al As bin Wa'il who was a Qurayshi and who you know, was, in, was a resident of Mecca, he came there to that region to do business and he came into contact with uh, Al-As bin Wa'il. 
And they agreed, this man came to Makkah to sell some of his merchandise. As bin Wa'il said, well, I'll purchase your merchandise from you. Why don't you go ahead and forward me the merchandise and I'll come tomorrow and I'll pay you tomorrow. So the man said, you know, sounds like a fair enough of a deal. So, you know, depending on the man's honesty and also taking into consideration that he's a man of Makkah, he's a man of Quraysh. And you have to understand that people outside of Makkah did look to the Quraysh, even though it was a time of lawlessness and a time of, you know, um, you know rampant abuse of all type, violation of rights of the people, the people outside of Makkah still had this general... Um, good impression of the people of Makkah, particularly the Quraysh, taking into consideration the fact that they were the caretakers of the Haram. They were the caretakers of the sacred sanctuary. So the man agreed, the man said, fine, go ahead, here's the merchandise and I'll expect the payment from you tomorrow. When the man went to go collect, um, you know, uh, this man who came from out of the, the city, he was from the tribe of Zubaid. That's what I was trying to locate. He was, he was from the tribe of Zubaid. His name is not mentioned, but he's referred to as Zubaidi. He was from the tribe of Zubaid. So he came to Mecca, offered his merchandise to this man and said, okay, you'll pay me tomorrow. When he went to actually go and collect the money, the payment from Al-As bin Wa'il, As bin Wa'il said, what payment? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Obviously trying to take advantage of this man and his naivete. You know, he offered up his merchandise and said, fine, pay me tomorrow, no big deal, no problem, don't worry about it. So now he's taking advantage of this man's honesty. And so he says, what payment? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have no merchandise. I, I don't know, move along. Was, uh, this, this man of Zubaid, this Zubaidi, he was so disturbed and obviously distraught because he's just been taken advantage of. He was a simple man, probably from a far-reaching tribe. They weren't very wealthy. He brought all the merchandise that he had, hoping to do some business, you know, collect a good amount of money to take back and be able to support his family. So he was so distraught, he started going and speaking to different leaders of Mecca, different leaders of the Quraysh, saying, one of your men has taken advantage of me. He's, 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 stole, he's stolen my merchandise. He refuses to pay me. As was the habit in the culture, the custom of that time, where your, your loyalties were first and foremost with the tribe, not with honesty, not with truth and justice. So most of them said, well, we don't know what you're talking about. You know, we really can't help you with this situation. Move along, move along. They kind of dismissed him. A couple of people in the road dismissed him. He eventually got to the point of desperation, he was so upset. He goes to the Haram, he goes to the Kaaba at the time of sunrise. Now sunrise was the time when you know, everybody came out of their homes and typically before the day got started, before everybody went off to their businesses, the leaders of Quraysh would typically congregate at the Haram at that time and they would have a few meetings to start off the day. Kind of what's on the agenda for today, what's going on, is there any news, is there what not. So they would gather, they would collect for some meetings. He goes at that time of sunrise at the Kaaba, stands at the door of the Kaaba, and one narration actually says he, you know, takes his shirt off, which was a sign of showing desperation, and he's, he screams and he cries. And he says, and he, he read, you know, he calls out to the people of the Kaaba, he says, Ya ahla fihr, limadlumin bida'atuhu. O oh, people of dignity and honor, the caretakers of the Kaaba, this wrong man, this, this oppressed man, my, that his, his merchandise has been taken from him. How can this happen in the heart of the city of Mecca? 
A place where, you know, this is where, you know, the sanctuary is. And this is where people flock to. How, how could something like this happen here? وَمُحْرِمٍ أَشْعَثٍ لَمْ عُمْرَتَهُ That I came here not just to sell my merchandise, but I also had the hope of being able to visit and worship at the Kaaba. But he wanted to unload his merchandise first, and he said that, I'm, I'm still in the condition of ihram. Of course, the jahili ihram. You know, I have my intention. أَشْعَثٍ I still bear the signs of my journey. لَمْ يَقْضِي عُمْرَتَهُ I haven't even fulfilled my intention of worshipping here at the sacred sanctuary. يَا لَلْرِجَالِ وَبَيْنَ الْحِجْرِ وَالْحَجَرِ And he says, where are all the men? I stand between the Hajr al-Aswad and the, the house of God. Where, where are the men? Where are men of honor and dignity? إِنَّ الْحَرَامَ لِمَنْ تَمَّتْ كَرَامَتُهُ That this, this haram, this sacred sanctuary is for people. Is meant for people. Their caretakers should be people who are honorable and dignified. But here I find people that are dishonest. I find people that are deceitful, who are not worthy of the haram. So he speaks these very powerful, eloquent words. And he cries out to the people of the of Mecca, of Quraysh, trying to seek out some type of you know justice from them. So he's standing there. And he's crying and screaming, pleading, and stating his plight. The first one to stand, and everyone's sitting and listening, and what the man is saying can't be argued. So the first one to stand up is Az-Zubair bin Abdul Muttalib. Later on, of course, the uncle of the Messenger وسلم, who would eventually accept Islam, radiallahu anhu. He, and you see that, that, that honesty, that dignity, that honor in this individual. Zubair radiallahu anhu is the first one who stands up. And he goes to him and he said, Mali hada mutrak. Well, what's wrong with this man? This 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 desperate, this this pathetic man, like he sympathizes with him. He goes, This man looks so sad and so distraught. What's wrong with him? What happened to him? So the people started to gather all together. And Abdullah bin Judah. So, first of all, they all gather together and they say, We need to do something about this. You know, everyone says, you know, this, seem, this seems very, you know, they, they, they say it seems very similar. The scenario, the scene seems very, you know, similar. We've seen this happen before. It's very familiar. And so they gathered together and one of the most respectable individuals of Mecca at that time was a man by the name of Abdullah bin Jada'an. He calls a meeting in his house. And all the leaders of Quraysh, all the different families, all the different tribes, they all gather together in his house. And they make a pact and an agreement. They say, we have to put a stop to this. This can't continue like this. This is a disgrace. Plus, we just got done with a five-year war. Anybody feel like going back to that? So we need to put an end to this. We need to put a stop to this. So they decide that let's make a pact and an agreement. And the pacting agreement is that we will support the rights of the oppressed. We will oppose the oppressor, even if he be one of our own people. Even if the oppressed be a person from outside of Mecca, a stranger, gharib, traveler, doesn't belong here, doesn't have any support, doesn't have any, you know, anyone to back him up, we will still support him. And we will, we will oppose oppression, we will oppose wrongdoing, we will oppose the violation of rights. Regardless of the scenario, the circumstances, or the people involved. And they come to this pact and this agreement there. 
This pact and this agreement was called, is called Hilful Fudul. Hilf meaning pact and oath and agreement. Al Fudul. Now, why is it called Al Fudul? There are two explanations as to why it's called Al Fudul. The first explanation is more historical. Because it said that there were three individuals present. Amongst the dozen or so individuals, a couple of dozen individuals who were present at this pact, this agreement representing their people, the general population, three of those individuals, they were by the name of Al-Fadl. Three of them, their name was Al-Fadl. So based on the fact that there were three people there named Fadl, the plural of which would be Fudul, so that's why they called it Hilful Fudul. The pact made with all the different Fadls were there. Alright, all the Fadls were there. And this pact was made at that time, kind of to mark it. That remember when all three Fadls got together and remember that moment, that occasion? So that was that pact. The second explanation as to why it was called Hilful Fudul is more linguistic. Fudul itself comes from Fadl, which means virtue. Al Fudul, virtuous. So it's called the virtuous pact. And so it's very, very likely, in fact, uh, many of the historians and scholars of Sirah say that it was named that, you know, they named it the virtuous pact because of the virtue of the pact, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, what is exactly the virtue of this pact. But it also coincided with the fact that three men were present there at the time of this pact, named Al-Fadl, and so it kind of was a nice little coincidence. Alright, the fact that it was a very virtuous pact, plus three men named Fadl were there, so it's called Hilful Fudul. So this pact was made at that time. The aftermath of the pact was, now these men who had agreed to this pact, they say first act. The first act under the Hilful Fudul, the virtuous pact and the virtuous oath, is that all of us need to go together. And we're going to go to Al-As bin Wa'ali and we're going to stand up to him together. If we're honest and sincere in this pact and this oath, we'll stand for justice. Here's our opportunity. So they all go. Two dozen of the most powerful men in Mecca, they go and they knock the door of Al-As bin Wa'il. As bin Wa'il comes out, he's kind of shocked to see everybody who's anybody in Mecca to be standing outside his door. And they say that, you did business with a man, Zubaydi, the, the man from Az-Zubayd. He said, yeah, sure did. And he's like, but you didn't pay him. He's like, well, you know, you know how we do. That's, that's how we roll. Just, I'm one of you. Come on. We're supposed to overlook these things. You scratch my back, one day I'll scratch your back. And he said, I'm sorry, we're not rolling like that anymore. That's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. Things have changed. So, from here on out, it's going to be fair. First things first, either you pay him, he's like, I don't have any money, what do you want me to do? Then bring the merchandise. Bring the merchandise. He's like, you can't be serious. So we're absolutely serious. And we got swords to prove that we're serious. So now they take Al-As bin Wa'il along with the merchandise, they find this poor miskin, this man, a Zubaydi, they find him, return his merchandise back to him, apologize to him on behalf of the people of Mecca and the people of Quraysh, that this is not a representation of Mecca, this is not a representation of Quraysh, and this is not a representation of who we are, and here's your merchandise back, we apologize to you for the inconvenience, for all the trouble, and here's your merchandise. And the man's very pleased, very happy, takes his merchandise, goes along, goes about his business, goes on his way. This was that Hilful Fudul, this was that pact. The Prophet of Allah, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
actually speaks about this pact. He says, لَقَدْ شَهِدْتُ فِي دَارِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ He says, I witnessed a pact and an oath in the house of Abdullah bin Jud'an. So what we learn from that is, of course, remember, we've talked about this at length, at detail. The Prophet of Allah is the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. He's the nephew of Abu Talib. He comes from the house and the family of leadership. And his uncles were mentoring him, particularly because Abu Talib was pretty much his guardian and his care, caretaker. Any important situation, scenarios, he would be taken along, he would be you know, uh, involved in those things so that he could learn. And so the Prophet of Allah says, I was present when that pact took place. I remember being in the house of Abdullah bin Jud'an. And the Prophet of Allah is saying this, this narration is dated to be during um, the Medinan period. So the Prophet of Allah is saying, I can remember 30 years ago, sitting in the house of Abdullah bin Jud'an, or 35, 40 years ago, I remember sitting in the house of Abdullah bin Jud'an, witnessing that pact take place. Being there, watching it happen, watching it unfold. And the Prophet of Allah says, مَا أُحِبُّ أَنَّ لِي بِهِ حُمُرًا نَعَمْ حُمُرًا نَعَمْ He says, I do not wish, I wouldn't like. Alright, I'm going to literally kind of translate it. It doesn't sound so coherent in English. And then I'll rephrase it properly in English. But he says, I wouldn't like for me to have red she-camels in exchange of witnessing that pact. Now, that makes enough sense, but to put it into more common English, the Prophet of Allah says, I would not trade, I would not trade my presence there, and witnessing that pact take place, for the most valuable things in this world. Because red she-camels at the time of the Arab, are like Ferraris today. Alright, so the Messenger of Allah is saying, you could offer me the most expensive things in this world. You could offer me not one, but multiple sheen camels. I would not, never, not in exchange for anything materialistic, I would not trade my place in that house while that pact was taking place. Meaning the, this is basically an expression of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, expressing gratitude, thanks, pride if you want to call it that. You know, being very grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He was present at the time when this pact took place. So he, he, he was very proud, He was very grateful, He was very thankful for the part that He played in this pact. And the fact that He was simply present there because it was such a virtuous act. And the Prophet ﷺ goes on to say, لَوْ أُدْعَى بِهِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ لَأَجَبْتُ And if I was called to that pact, now in Islam, Medinan period, Islam is formulated, the state is established, the sharia is enacted. And the Messenger of Allah is saying, today in Islam, in the sharia of Muhammad in the Islamic state, if I was called to take part in that pact, if I was called to take action according to that pact, لَأَجَبْتُ I have answered. I would go, I would present myself, and I would take part in that pact. So we see that the Messenger of Allah speaking very fondly of that pact and being, you know, reminiscing about that pact and being very grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about His presence there and on top of everything else saying, even in Islam, I would honor it. This 
story, Hilful Fudul, maybe some people have heard about it before, but this serves as a very, in this narration, these words of the Prophet of Allah serve as you know, a very strong foundation and strong evidence um, of the social justice that Islam establishes, it propagates, and the social justice that Islam calls to. Even if the, the roots of a, uh, of a movement, as long as the spirit of the movement is social justice, even if the roots of that movement be found, in, be found outside of Islam, pre-Islamic, because we know the Quraysh and the people of Mecca at that time, forget about, we're not even talking about outside of the Muslim community and another faith-based community. We're talking about idol worshippers. We're talking about mushrikun. We're talking about zamanul jahiliyyah, the era of ignorance, the time of shirk, zamanul aslam, the time of idol worship. That even though there was a movement, as long as its spirit and its objective was social justice, it's being found in a time of ignorance and an era of idol worship. That's where its roots are found. Yet the Prophet ﷺ honors it, the Prophet ﷺ praises it, and the Prophet ﷺ is willing to join hands with it. And that's where we find some of the universal values of Islam. More than anything else, we find, the, we, we find one of the Islamic values there. We find it here in the story of Hilf al-Fudul. That this is one of the values that Islam espouses. That Islam advocates social justice. And if something is in the cause of social justice, bettering the condition of the people, then even if the roots of such a movement are outside of the Muslim community, outside of Islam, it becomes very, it behooves Muslims and the Muslim community to join hands with that movement and to be a part of that movement and to support such a movement and such a cause. And we find opportunities to make it relevant to our scenario and situation, take it out of the theoretical and make it practical. We find situations like that today. If it's cancer research, if it's homelessness, if it's you know, cleaning up the streets, if it's you know, solving, you know, removing drugs, taking drugs out of our schools, taking drugs off the streets, if there is a cause in our local community, this is where it's very important, it's vital, it's necessary, and a great form of da'wah as well. Not da'wah for the sake of da'wah, we're not in the business of PR. We're not in the business of you know, headlines. We're not in the business of press conferences and posing for pictures. We don't engage in these activities just to be able to do PR. No, 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 but to live up to the standard of our faith. To let people know what Islam truly advocates and what it preaches and what it espouses. That it is our cause before anyone else's that we either, if we're not strong enough or if we're not active enough, if we're not, you know, if, if we're not taking the lead in the initiative of leading such movements, if such movements already exist, such efforts already exist, then it becomes our responsibility and our job to take part in them and to support them and do whatever we can in order to further such noble causes. And the Messenger of Allah establishes that. Now, this is where the talk gets a little technical, goes out of the historical and the motivational and gets a little bit technical. But that's why we're having these very in-depth sessions so that we can really sink our teeth into them. We can really roll up our sleeves and really understand the issue at hand. There is a certain, um, if you will, you know, there's, there's a certain opinion. There's an opinion 
that says, well, this is being taken out of context, and the Messenger of Allah is just saying that figuratively, and there are some who have even cast doubt upon the authenticity, the, the validity of this narration even of the Prophet saying, that if I was called to it, even in Islam, I would answer it. That there's a certain you know, group or a certain mentality, a certain mindset that says, no, there's even some issues with the authenticity of that. Even though the vast majority of scholars of seerah and hadith do verify the authenticity, the validity of this particular narration. There's no problem here. Some truths still try to say that there might be some issue here. Even then there's other instances that we find in the lives of the companions. Radiallahu anhum, the sahaba, may Allah be pleased with them. And you have to understand the role of the Sahaba. And what, what validity or what authority does the action that Sahaba have taken, what authority does that have in Islam or in Sharia, in the Islamic you know, legal application? Well, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum are the implementation and the manifestation of the deen. The, the primary practitioners and interpreters of the Book of Allah and of the life of the Messenger وسلم, in the prophetic tradition was that first generation. And As-Sahaba kulluhum adul. Jazakallah khair. As-Sahaba kulluhum adul. Sahaba, all of them are reliable and authentic sources of taking our religion. That's an established principle within our deen. One of the primary principles of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Alright, so the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and their action and what they understand and what they interpret from the Qur'an in the life of the Prophet is a source of legislation within Islam, within the Sharia. So what do we find from the life of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum? It said that Al-Husayn bin Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhuma Hussein, the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ, and Al-Walid bin Utbah bin Abi Sufyan. So Hussein, the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ, and Al-Walid, the grandson of Abu Sufyan, had some type of a dispute, had some issue, had some matter between them. And Walid in those days was the Amir of Medina. He was appointed as the chief, as the leader, as the governor, as the mayor of Medina, if you will. And his uncle Muawiyah radiallahu anhu had appointed him in that position. So they had some type of a dispute about some money between them. So Walid basically, because of his position as the mayor of Medina, kind of threw his political weight around, if you will. Kind of, you know, used this position to be able to um, make Hussein radiallahu anhu quiet and just kind of, you know, you know, basically take advantage of him to a certain extent. Hussein radiallahu anhu tells him, Ahlifu billahi, that I swear by Allah, la tunsifanni min haqqi. I swear by Allah that you will fulfill my right to me. You're not gonna wrong me, I'm not gonna take this, I'm not gonna tolerate this, I swear by Allah, you're gonna give me what I need. Oh la akhudanna sayfi, or I'll pick up my sword if I have to. You're not going to take advantage of me. Especially using the position of government, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. Hussein, the grandson of the Prophet, the son of Ali radiallahu anhu, says, Walid, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. 
You're going to give me my rights. You're going to pay me my money. Otherwise, I will take my sword. I will stand in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. And I will call for the hilf of fudul. I will call back to the virtuous pact. And I will demand my right by, by virtue of that pact. Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhumah stands up and says, and he was, he was with Al-Walid. And he says to Hussein, وَأَنَا أَحْلِفُ بِاللَّهِ لَإِن دَعَابِهِ لَآخُذَنَّ سَيْفِي ثُمَّ لَأَقُومَنَّ مَعَهُ حَتَّى يُنصَفَ مِنْ حَقِّهِ أَوْ نَمُوتَ جَمِيعًا So Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhuma, another sahabi, the son of a sahabi, alright, who was the, one of the main students of Aisha radiallahu anha. I'm quoting these types of uh, credentials, if you will, to establish the fact that these were people who understood the sunnah of the Prophet extremely well. These were people who knew what they were talking about when they interpreted Quran and Sunnah. So Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhu says that if Hussein bin Ali radiallahu anhumah stands and calls for the hilf al-fudul and calls for the fulfillment of his right by that virtuous pact and oath, I will also take my sword and stand by his side and I will also support him by virtue of that pact and that oath. He says, and we will, we will see that his right is fulfilled or we'll die in pursuing his right. Miswar bin Makhrama heard this and he said, same here. I will also take my sword and go stand by Hussein in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ and will also, by virtue of that pact and that oath, see that Hussein's right is fulfilled. The same news reached Abdurrahman bin Uthman bin Ubaidillah At-Taymi, who was also another Sahabi, the child of a Sahabi. He says, I will also take my sword and I will also go stand in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ and support Hussein till his right is fulfilled by virtue of that pact and that oath. And more and more individuals started to gather, more Sahaba radiallahu anhum started to gather and stand by Hussein by virtue of Hilful Fudul, by virtue of that pact and that oath. Finally, when this news reached Al Walid, he Ansafal Husayna min haqqihi hatta radiya. He said, Fine, I'm sorry, my bad, I messed up, here's your right. Here's what you deserve from me. He returned his money back to him until Hussein radiallahu anhu was satisfied and he put, you know, put basically he withdrew his complaint and settled the matter and everybody went back home and the matter, matter was settled. The reason why I mentioned this story again, and this is way after the, the time of the Prophet is because the hilf al-fudul was called upon by not one but many of the sahaba radiallahu anhum and they all saw it as a valid act they saw it as a valid calling to action based on hilf al-fudul the virtuous pact and oath and they all supported it as well so we see that this was something the Prophet of Allah witnessed at that, at that age of 20 he was a part of this pact and oath. He was present there. He witnessed it. He saw it. And later on, 30, 40 years later on, towards the end of his nubu and his prophet in the Medinan period, when this Islamic state was established, the Prophet ﷺ reminisces. He remembers the hilf al-fudul, the virtuous pact and oath, and says, that was amazing. I witnessed it. I wouldn't trade my place 
at that pact and in that pact for anything of this world. And if I was called to it in, in again, again in Islam, I would support it, I would back it up, I would be a part of it. And we see that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, some of the most knowledgeable Sahaba, some of the most virtuous of the companions of the Prophet like Hussein bin Ali, like Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anhum and others, they again later on would, you know, they, they called for justice based on the virtuous pact and oath and supported the cause of justice based on the virtuous pact and oath. And we need to take a lesson from this here today. And it, it's very imperative. It's very necessary that justice, social justice is our cause. Now we should support it too because it's nice. No, this is our cause. Our deen preaches this. Our deen calls for this. Our, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we hold so dearly, that we hold in such regard demands this of us. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa uswatun hasana, who we look up to, who we admire, who we love, who we cherish, who we make our best effort to emulate, he called for this and he stood for this. And we need to learn the same lesson today. And subhanAllah, this is from the wisdom and the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is from the completion of this deen and this religion, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided such a precedent. And he provided such evidence from the life of the Messenger ﷺ so that 1400 years later, when we as Muslims, living as an embattled minority, as a misunderstood minority rather I should say, Alhamdulillah, we enjoy our rights, otherwise look at this masjid, this wouldn't even exist. We have a certain amount of rights and we're thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them. But nevertheless, we as Muslims here, 1400 years later in the United States, living as a misunderstood minority, this precedent and this example and this evidence is provided to us from the life of the beloved sallallahu alayhi wasallam so that we can learn a lesson from it, we can act on it and we can take the same initiative and we can follow in the footsteps of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So let us try to take up these causes. If we're not leading them, if we're not, you know, we're not at the head of them, we're not spearheading them, at the very least what we can do is we can lend our support to them and we can be a part of them and we can try to live up to some level, to some extent, to the un unbelievable, unparalleled, beautiful example and precedent set by the beloved of Allah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahum bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wa jazakumullah khairan, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.